Friends, colleagues, and mortal enemies, welcome back to Season 2 of Brain Buzz. We are your hosts, I'm Kyle. And I'm Drake. And today we are joined by Audrey Day. Audrey, welcome. Thank you. Yeah, so Audrey, you're uh, you're a part of the social and personality psychology at University of uh, British Columbia. Mm-hmm. Tell us a little bit more about your lab, what you do, and, and what you want to talk about today, or what we're going to learn today in the episode. Yeah, yeah. So my lab is we're the social identity lab, um, which broadly means that we are interested in kind of finding out how people's social identities, so kind of how the labels they attach to themselves, whether that's being a student or a brother or a sister, um, or sometimes you know a romantic partner, um, how those things kind of impact the way that we navigate our everyday lives. Um, And so kind of one question that I'm pursuing in that line of work is kind of what does it mean to kind of navigate your environments um, on the basis of your social identity? So kind of how does the environment and the place around you really interact with who you are to kind of predict how much you feel like you can sort of be yourself? Um, So kind of getting at this idea of of what it means to feel authentic. That's really cool. I'm I'm thinking of a new idea. I'm thinking of like improving the like the episodes in general. Okay. I kind of want to like ask questions. I'm not sure if structurally it works makes sense, but I'd like to like ask like first, like first impression questions about their their research lines before we get into their work. Or do you think that would be something that would be better off later down the episode after we already talked about your work? Why don't Why don't we try so, it? So then... so yeah, sure. So so one question that as soon as you start start talking about identities yeah. that got me interested is that we do like I think of how I identify myself to people whenever they ask, okay, what are you? Who do you? Who are you? What do mm-hmm. you do? What is the like? how do you kind of differentiate someone's first identity versus like their second idea and identity and how they prioritize these identities mm-hmm. is that something that's been done a lot uh, yeah. in identity research yeah certainly so i mean there's some really interesting work um kind of looking at actually how the different situations that we're in can kind of activate different identities that's something that we talk about a lot um so kind of one of the most prominent examples of that i think is at least kind of something that we study a lot is being in the science fields um so kind of we know that in kind of science and math fields, women are really underrepresented. Mm. Um, and because of that, kind of maybe in one situation that doesn't have anything to do with that domain, I'm not even aware of my identity as a woman. But as soon as you kind of put me in a situation where that's made really clear that like, oh, wow, I'm the only woman here. Right. Um, we kind of talk about how that can kind of prioritize that identity in your mind. Um, and actually, that's a really important part of, of kind of our research and thinking about how people can feel like they fit into different situations. Right. I, I thought it was really interesting to use the, the term prioritize there. Mm-hmm. It almost implies that there's a certain degree of attention that we have to place on ourselves within this context. Yeah. Would yeah. that be an appropriate way of interpreting that? Definitely. Yeah. So, I mean, one of the, I mean, one of the main things that I've been thinking about a lot lately in this work is kind of this idea of even paying attention to your identity. So in some sense, when things are going really well and you really feel like you fit into a place, actually you don't think about your identity, right? Like you're just kind of like, I'm here, I'm just being myself and having a great time. Um, I'm not thinking about the fact that, you know, I'm a woman or kind of about my gender or race or anything like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but we know that kind of, as soon as you start to think about those things, it kind of gets a little bit inauthentic where you're kind of like, I feel like I have to kind of alter the way I'm behaving or, or kind of pay more attention to this identity. Um, so yeah, that's definitely an accurate way of looking at it. That's interesting. Yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm interested in also the idea that like when you're noticing, I mean, this may, may be me reaching, but like it seems like when you're in a situation where there's some sort of in-group or out-group or some sort of separation between groups, mm-hmm. that's when you're starting to think about your identity more. Yeah. So like like you said, as an example, uh, being a female in STEM in science research, mm-hmm. uh, that you being in a room filled with males might yeah. be an indication be like, oh, I'm definitely thinking about me being the only female here. And that's you 
like reiterating your identity mm-hmm. I, I think of another example being something like going to a church or, or somewhere a, a, like somewhere where religion's a big uh big aspect uh you will think about what religion you abide by or if mm-hmm. you abide to a religion uh because you're in that situation mm-hmm. right and so for me i'm kind of interested in seeing like so i guess maybe my question wasn't really there's no real answer to what one's your first identity unless you ha- kind of have like this like very omniscient like <laughs> approach to life where yeah. you're like I am always thinking about where I am in the world and what's my number one identity right yeah. it's more like what's my identity right now in the situation that I'm in yeah right. totally totally and I think that's that's sort of the way that we talk about it so you can kind of think about it on the whole maybe there are some parts of me that are more central to who I say I am um so maybe kind of my identity as a grad student is really important to me and I think about that a lot but maybe in some situations that's not the identity that I think about at all um so I I think it's really interesting to think about how kind of these different situations can kind of bring to mind different different identities for us it's interesting uh the last thing I'll maybe mention on this is it's funny you say that because as grad students I've had this conundrum recently where I tell people that I'm at school Mm. and they're like oh like you're not done and it's like no 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 no. (laughs) that's that's my work like and so now you know maybe that's kind of to put some context for other people it's like being able to describe okay well this is what i do like that's mm-hmm. part of my identity right but mm-hmm. i'm no, i don't necessarily consider myself a student so much as a a worker like yeah. an employee mm-hmm. sometimes yeah. right so i i could see that being a, a case for people um you know across many different careers not just certainly not just in, in mm-hmm. uh, yeah i always abide by the lowest barriers to entry or just like the, the least bumpy road whenever i'm explaining anything to somebody so it's like uh if i have to explain oh i'm not a student three times in like a week i'm like <laughs> i'm no longer saying i'm a student yep. <laughs> i am now a researcher or yeah. i'm doing I, I i put another label to it so i don't oh, get or those psychologists yeah, psychologist that's such a oh, yeah. no. one that gets mistaken all the time yeah. yes i'm like no not technically Are a psychologist <laughs> yeah exactly exactly yeah. that's and so yeah so i avoid it at all costs now yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. and i think but, a lot of people can share that same sentiment regardless of where, where they're in right yeah and really? i think uh, the reason that i was getting to all this is i think it goes back again to just how important the environment is yeah um, you know, if I'm saying it in a room full of people who are all in the same career and I'm like, oh, I'm a student, they're like, what? <laughs> yeah. But it, but if, if, you know, they're another group of people who maybe under, would understand it, then it's mm-hmm. a, like we might talk about ourselves as being students, but it's because that's what the environmental context dictates to yeah. us, right? And I think just kind of the last thing I'll say, too, is I think it's interesting that, you know, even within kind of a group of people, kind of the level of detail that you go into kind of like what you were saying versus if you just say researcher um or kind of if you're in a group with all researchers and all psychologists like to you guys i would say i'm a social psychologist and you would know kind of within that what that means um so it's kind of it's it's funny the way we also kind of not only change which identity we're talking about but kind of the level of Mm. detail around that identity like stratification yeah yeah. exactly no that's really neat yeah um okay so let's dive into it what are we going to be learning and talking about today um so kind of one of the the core things that i'm hoping to share today is kind of this idea um around how our environments on the basis of our identities can feel like a good or bad fit um so we've all kind of been in these situations where we walk in immediately and we're like oh i should not be here (laughs) i don't fit in um versus kind of the experience of when you walk into a place and you're like wow i can really be myself here this feels really natural and comfortable um so i'm really interested in unpacking that and kind of understanding what's going on for people when they feel that mm-hmm. um, and kind of how that impacts which situations we want to spend time in and really um, kind of actively approach is kind of the the word that we use a lot um, 
And yeah, kind of related to all that also, just kind of talking about how these ideas tie into kind of ideas about the true self and authenticity and how that's something that, you know, a lot of people strive for or kind of want to want to achieve. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Awesome. Sorry, I'm, I just grabbed this because I have a couple questions I'm going to save for later. Yeah, totally. <laughs> <laughs> I tend to just go off the reel, like the reel and just kind of ask questions as soon as they come up in my head. I'm trying to be better at this. Uh, <laughs> trying to be a better journalist. Actually, you know what? Forget it. I'm just going to ask it. Um, yeah, go for it. So so you, you talk about like how some people might go into a room and not feel comfortable in the situation that they're at. Mm-hmm. Is, there, is there something that goes on between some like that differentiates people that feel more uh, comfortable in those situations where there is that kind of ambiguity and they're not comfortable mm-hmm. um, and they're better able to adapt to that? Or is mm-hmm. it more of just like generally everybody will have this some sort of identif- like some environment that will make them uncomfortable through their identification? Yeah. So we, we broadly talk about being able to fit in as having mm-hmm. kind of three components. Okay. Um, so some of our past work that we've done has kind of um, tried to tease these apart and kind of understand how they work differently. So um, kind of in, in one component, you have what we call a self-concept fit. So that's literally just when I walk into a room, does this type of place kind of match who I am? So the example that we like to use a lot is if you're a really big baseball fan in a baseball stadium, right. you're like self-concept fit. This is great. Mm-hmm. Um, versus if, if you're in a place that you're totally like, if you really aren't into modern art and you go to like a modern art museum and you're like, this right. is not me. Um, that would be kind of an example of low self-concept fit. Um, and then we also have kind of what we call goal fit. So whether the things that you want to work toward and pursue are allowed in that environment. So um, kind of thinking about, you know, if you're a really high-driven, motivated employee in this really fast-paced company, that's great for you because that kind of maps onto your motivational style. Um, versus if you are working in this company that's just very, like, relaxed and kind of slow and you're like feeling kind of stir crazy um those sorts of types of fit are really important too um and then of course the last fit that we talk about is social fit so just the extent to which other people in that environment really accept you and see you for who you really are um so you know one example that we give is if you're like a really quirky person with all these kind of weird uh kind of jokes and a weird sense of humor (laughs) and you're around friends that are like yeah, that's really funny. That's great. Um, you're probably going to feel a high degree of social fit versus if you're in a place where people are like, you're weird. Like, <laughs> that's, that's odd. Um, so just kind of we talk about those three things as each being part of this general experience that we call fit. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, I guess just to answer your question in kind of a roundabout way, I think there are definitely situations where we might have one type of fit but not the other. Um, and I think that'll just depend kind of on what the situation is and but certainly i think for everybody there are there is the potential to kind of feel that lack of fit right and that makes sense i think that's really cool how they separate them into the three kind of concepts for me i think of like you can seek out places that will uh what is the first type of fit sorry self Self concept self concept fit fit. so you can seek out places and usually i think most people do seek out places Mm -hmm. that will fulfill that kind of identity where they're like this is who i am this is why i'm here and this is why i like to do these things right yeah you're not it's not often that someone will probably seek out places where they'll feel uncomfortable i mean unless that's fulfilling some other goal oriented uh Mm -hmm. like identity maybe and I think that's really interesting. Um, I'm not going to continue to ask questions on this because I think we're going to expand on it further within your work. Yeah. Uh, so let's get into the work that you're doing. To Im- mm-hmm. I-, I imagine you're implementing this in some way, right? Because you're talking yeah. about identity. This is a huge part of it. Mm-hmm. Um, so, what? Where do you want to start with all the work? So you, do, you have a lot of you have a lot <laughs> oh, of stuff gosh. here that we can like a lot of directions we can go down. Yeah. So I mean, it's funny because I I actually kind of started. Um, so kind of the 
the whole three types of fit thing um, and all the rest kind of follow from this framework that my advisor, Tony Schmader, actually developed um, and published last year, I think. Um, and so when I first got to grad school, you know, she kind of told me about this. It was still, I think, in press at the time. And so it was very new. And she was like, yeah, you know, I've been working on this framework and I'm really interested in kind of exploring some of these ideas and really giving them an empirical test. And so, you know, we got thinking about how we could test different parts of the framework. Um, and so one one kind of bizarre thing about this line of work is that it's just insanely broad in terms of its applications. So we've actually right. done a lot of different things with it um, from kind of the, the women in STEM stuff. So really looking at um, how these experiences of fit play out for uh, women and men in these kind of uh, science and math settings. Um, we've also done work with international students at UBC trying to understand how they feel a sense of fit. Um, and so, you know, it's just it's really like it really is. I, I call it kind of this like lens through which you can view many different situations and contexts. Mm. Um, and so now that we've kind of done some of this empirical work, um, we're actually we've been kind of revisiting more of the theoretical side of things, um, which is kind of more of what I'm working on right now. So trying to say, you know, given all of this kind of evidence that we've collected over the past two years, um, you know, what are some parts of the framework that we need to really be thinking about and trying to build on? Um, and so kind of one of these ideas is something that came up toward the beginning, I think, actually, um, which is kind of, you know, one one question that kept coming up for us was, is the experience of fit and authenticity something that people know they're experiencing or is it something that they just kind of go through without real awareness of what it is? Um, and so lately we've been really kind of trying to build out some of these ideas around how it can actually be both. Um, so kind of thinking about, you know, when you feel that sense of fit, um, when you are the baseball fan in the baseball stadium, you're not really thinking about it. You're just kind of, everything is going really smoothly. And in some sense, it's similar to what other people describe as like flow. Yeah, exactly. Like flow states. Say, yeah. yeah, so we, we actually think it's, it's quite related to that. Um, but on the other hand, when there's a lack of fit, that's it's really like your attentional focus is like on that yeah, yeah. Um, it's like the only thing you can focus on yeah, right? yeah exactly exactly like i don't know i've been in this situation so many times and i'm sure people can relate to it but you know that experience where you're you're talking to somebody but you're so focused on what you're trying to say and how you're going to say it that you actually kind of lose track of the conversation <laughs> yeah. um which yeah so it's just kind of experiences like that where it's like you're metacognizing or kind of just thinking about the thinking so much that you can't actually focus on what you're trying to do. Yeah, yep, um, absolutely. And so I think we've been really interested in trying to think more about that. Um, and so we're kind of, yeah, we're developing some some tests of that right now and trying to um, really see if that's something that we can study. So what's the, so that's really interesting in that this idea of flow is something that I've always kind of been interested in as well. Yeah. Uh, when you're talking about authenticity, is it in a moment? Is it a global thing? Like, mm -hmm. how do you guys define authenticity if you haven't already defined it? And yeah. I just already forgot. No, I, <laughs> that's that's such a great question. And actually, it's such a big, big question mm -hmm. in the field. So it's funny because up until maybe three years ago, um, three or four years ago, scholars talked about authenticity as a trait. So, you know, somebody's either authentic or they're not. Right. Um, but kind of more recently, a lot of really, really kind of novel and, and clever studies have tracked people kind of across their daily lives and looked at kind of what they actually say their level of authenticity is in any given situation. And what they actually found was that 
within any given person, there was way more variation than between different people. Okay. Um, so that really suggested that, you know, authenticity isn't so much this thing that we have or we don't, but it's actually something that we have to different degrees depending on what we're doing and who we're with and kind of the, the things we're pursuing. Right, so there's so a lot more there's a lot more variance to it, a lot more fluidity almost. Yeah, yeah. And so this might be kind of lending to the idea that the environment may be playing a big part on uh, mm -hmm. in your authenticity or their feelings about this authenticity. Mm -hmm. I find that really interesting. I kind of want to go back a little bit onto the tra idea of this trait versus like state authenticity because yeah. it's really cool. For me, I think of uh, all these really horrible Facebook posts <laughs> of people <laughs> that I need to delete off my Facebook, but. I think of like, oh, I am, tr I'm like, I'm so real, you know, like yeah. I am the most realest person. So I will, I will tell you how it is. And that's me. So, cause I'm authentic yeah. versus people that are fake, you know, and they're like, they, they, they lie about everything and they don't really know. You don't really know who they are. Yeah. That is like the kind of the idea of this trait authenticity. I imagine like people yeah. just are authentic all the time Yeah. versus, uh, in this moment when I'm I'm comfortable in this around these people that I, I, I identify with and I and yeah. I feel like we share the same interests, I feel authentic and I feel like I can be my real self. First totally. that, those that's how I see those two. And I yeah. imagine my Facebook friend <laughs> probably doesn't think the same way. <laughs> no. She's so real, but Totally. <laughs> She's the realist. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I find that interesting. If you've recently been unfriended by Drake <laughs> You know what you did wrong. <laughs> uh, it's always fun to see. But um, so so that's really interesting. And, and so y is your focus mainly on this state? It's like within person, how authentic you feel in the moment mm -hmm. versus like in general, right? Yeah, totally. Yeah. So, I mean, to some degree, you know, there there is evidence to support kind of a trait level account. So, mm -hmm. I mean, one kind of just to draw a comparison, one one thing that we often talk about is kind of how your state authenticity might kind of overlay your trait authenticity. So just like state anxiety can kind of map onto people's trait anxiety. So maybe I have a certain range within I move, which within within which I move. There it is, yeah. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, why can't I say that? Um, but kind of there still is variation. Right. Um, so maybe your range is up here, like where you're mostly in the high authenticity range um, but sometimes you have moments when you're lower than most people um, versus another person who might be kind of in the lower bound most of the time but they would still I would argue have experiences where they might feel highly authentic too. Oh use an example that Kyle might relate with would be like someone that's physically fit or mm -hmm. physically active they might trait like they might say like I'm very physically fit or I'm very very physically active but on a day-to-day -day basis that can vary significantly right so mm -hmm. yeah. on a weekly basis you might not go to the gym at all you might not do anything mm -hmm. and that's just how it is and totally. I imagine it's similar with whenever you're comparing these things yeah, yeah. and there's it goes like the, I can think of a lot of going back to sort of some of the cognitive aspects of how we fluctuate how our brains fluctuate over time and, and how we can have these differences and they can spike and they can generally be within a certain range or bound but then you know we'll have experiences where they're a little bit different than what we'd normally expect to see. Yeah. I think that's really interesting. Yeah. I think going back to the environment, I think that's really what we should hone in on here because I think that's fascinating. Um, and we've talked a little bit about, uh, you know, fit in terms of self-concept, goals, social fit. Um, all of this kind of relates back to this idea of like a person environment fit, like an mm. embodied, a person is a person within a certain context. Mm -hmm. And I would just love to hear some of your thoughts on that, really. I think that's yeah. kind of, that's cool to me. Totally. Yeah. I mean, I think it's the most interesting part of all of this has really been thinking about how 
I think to some degree, people really underestimate the power of their environments. Um, so, you know, one kind of common piece of advice that you hear a lot is just be yourself, just act natural. Um, but, you know, some of our, our work suggests that that's, that's really, really hard to do if you're in a place where that just can't happen because maybe, you know, the people there aren't quite accepting of you or, or if you do act like yourself, that would kind of mean that you would be going against kind of the goals of that environment. So I think it's, it's really interesting to think about kind of how we can physically and socially change kind of the space around us um, to afford these different types of fit to some degree. So, I mean, some really, really interesting work has been done kind of in each of these domains. Um, so, for example, one of my all-time favorite studies um, comes from this work on what they call ambient belonging. Um, and so basically what this study did, and I, I think it's really cool, is they had a computer science classroom. So as I mentioned earlier, kind of these computer science and math environments are kind of uh, highly incongruent to women's self-concept in some sense, mm -hmm. um, just kind of by virtue of their underrepresentation in these fields. Um, and so what this study actually did is they just changed the objects in the room. So they either had kind of very computer science-y objects like calculators and Star Trek posters <laughs> versus just neutral objects. Um, and what they actually found, and again, they weren't testing kind of the exact constructs that we're interested in. Um, but what they did find is that in these environments where there was a lot of information, nobody even said anything to the women, by the way, this is just purely like the objects in the room. Yeah. Um, women were way less interested in going into computer science when you put them in a computer science classroom where it looks very stereotypical and very kind of unwelcoming in the sense that it's it's really activating this idea of computer science as like a place where maybe you wouldn't fit in too well. Um, but just by kind of changing the objects of the room, you can move around their interest in the field, um, which I thought was so cool because it's just like these tiny changes that we don't really think would have much of an impact. Um, it shows you the importance of presentation and, and the way yeah. that like first experiences can really impact people's impressions on things. Yeah. <laughs> Especially when you're talking about a career, really, totally, right? Like, yeah. A room might impact whether or not someone follows down a career path. Yeah, totally. So, I mean, even, yeah, I've, I've been, ever since I've been doing this work, it's really funny. I've been trying to think about like, does my office contain things that like if a student walked in, they would be like, oh, I'm psychology out. is weird. <laughs> um, and so, I mean, we're, we're kind of doing actually an extension of that in some way um, right now where we we're having um, people come into the lab and either spend time in, in kind of our, what we call the engineering space, um, where it has kind of all of these uh, posters and diagrams of like engineering things versus our psychology space, um, which has a bunch of psychology-esque objects. So um, kind of the most fun part of that study for me was just generating the list yeah. where we asked people, what do you think goes into these spaces? And so, of course, psychology, we got a lot of comments about like outdated furniture, <laughs> like, <laughs> Maslow's hierarchy. So it was, that was pretty fun. Um, but I think, yeah, it's it's interesting to kind of think about that. I think that's so so bringing this up this environment and how it impacts people's perceptions of things I, I think that's really interesting as well uh, we had talked and this is kind of tangential and I apologize um, we had talked with uh, Dr. Shana Sparling about uh, basically how people make decisions in sexual contexts mm -hmm. and how they might not make decisions that they identify as being something that they would do in that situation hmm. and I find that that kind of it's kind of pulling like I'm kind of thinking of that in my head now when you're talking about how, how being in an environment that's, that might not be authentic to, that you might not feel authentic in might actually dictate your your 
your actions. Does mm -hmm. that make sense or am I kind of going way off? No, totally, totally. So like one of the, the coolest lines of work that I think this really ties into is actually way, way, way back in the 50s, thinking about some of Goffman's stuff on impression management. So kind of like you were mentioning, putting on kind of a presentation. Mm. Um, and I think, yeah, oftentimes, like we know from this work that we will do things, even if it's not really genuine or if it's not who we are, because we think that's kind of what the situation calls for. Um, so kind of depending on how you read the situation, you might do something that someone else would be like, well, why did you just do that? And of course, it's because you're thinking like, that's what I need to do here. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, it's, it's certainly like people act out of character when they think it's what they should be doing in that situation. Yeah, I think that's really interesting. And for me, that's so like, I mean, there's so many things going on within that, right? Mm -hmm. With uh, like your self concept, I mean, the pressure that's being put on socially from other individuals, mm -hmm. uh, how comfortable you feel, how you feel as, a, as an individual, and what you identify as, all these things are playing a part. Yeah. And I think that another thing uh, would have been like the social expectations or social norms are probably playing a role in this too as well, right? Yeah. I, but I think those could also just be putting pressures on you to define your identity. Or how do you guys kind of balance your identity versus the social expectations? Because you talk a lot about, mm -hmm. um, and the work that you do is on, in women in STEM. Mm -hmm. um, the social norm, I mean, it, it. I like to think it's changing, but the social norm is that men, it's a predominantly male uh, like field. Yeah. And so how does that, does it just, is the social norm above the identity and the social norm just forms that identity? Is mm -hmm. that like what's going on? Is that the only way to really look at it? Yeah. So, I mean, that's a, that's a really, really good question. Um, and actually, I think um, one of my other lab mates, Kate Block, um, does a lot of really, really great work looking at that. So uh, kind of her work, um, it's more focused on uh, men in, what is it? It's, he, it's healthcare, early education and domestic work i think i got that right mm -hmm. yeah, I think <laughs> but uh mm -hmm. yeah so she does a lot of really interesting work looking at kind of exactly what you're talking about so kind of what like plays into what we decide to identify as our self-concept um so yeah she finds that kind of descriptive norms play a role so how much do i think that other men go into these fields um but also kind of your own internal values so mm -hmm. um kind of the degree to which i value helping others versus kind of being more what we call agentic so kind of just out for kind of your your own success um like an agent for yourself yeah basically you are your, <laughs> your own, own agent, agent yeah. yeah um and so she she has some really really fascinating work kind of looking at how these different factors all play into how we shape our identities and our self-concept very cool yeah and, and i mean we're not going to obviously go down that yeah path, that's, that's a, not that's what you're here podcast. for <laughs> uh, we've got a lot of amazing work to talk about in yours yeah i want to go back to something that you mentioned about adding something like a poster or having uh, participants come into a room like mm -hmm. okay this is a psych room versus this is our kind of engineering room yeah so how quickly do these impressions form in these spaces from your experience from mm -hmm. what you've seen yeah so it's, it's funny because this is actually a very new study so i'm still kind of sitting in on some of the sessions to talk to participants after they've been in them to get at exactly these questions um and of course they think when we get all the data back we'll know for sure but just from kind of talking to people um one thing that I didn't expect that happened is that it's actually, it's funny. So we have the psychology space in Kenny, our psychology building, um, and we have the engineering space in the engineering building. And what I've been hearing from these participants is that actually before they even come to the study, just going to the building and walking in, they're like, whoa, <laughs> like for the really, really highly psychology identified people who wouldn't ever think of engineering, 
the moment they walk through the doors of the engineering building like one one woman told me like yeah as soon as I walked in I was like I should not be here and I was like wow that's that's really powerful like the moment you walk in through the door and I have to say like just having to go to the engineering building to myself for those studies like I totally I feel that like even just kind of the thought of like I'm going to the engineering building it feels very like why like I shouldn't be doing this um and so I think I think it's really really immediate um in terms of kind of how quickly we're able to really pick up on these these cues and kind of get a feel for the environment um but I think yeah some of some of the kind of aspects of fit that we talk about might like, for example, with social fit, you would have to kind of interact with people and talk to them to really know whether they accept you or not. So that yeah. might be not as immediate unless you like walk in and they're all like really looking <laughs> mad at you or something. Um, but yeah, I think as as far as kind of just an overall sense of like whether you fit in um, seems to be something that you can pick up really fast. Yeah, the self-concept fit can be something that can be really rapidly discerned yeah. usually. Yeah, I, I think so. We yeah. don't have data to support that yet, but um just that's kind of my my sense yeah, working I, hypothesis it, it yeah. makes sense to me too I absolutely think. especially mm-hmm. considering like just so everybody knows the kenny building which is their psychology building that we see not the nicest building in the world oh my gosh oh my gosh <laughs> so if you don't feel comfortable it's in that building yeah. yeah if you don't feel comfortable in that building it's because you don't feel safe <laughs> yes actually can i can i share a tangential hilarious <laughs> yeah. story related to absolutely. this research so um my first pilot study that i was doing for this work um looking at how authentic people feel in the engineering versus psychology building um we actually just had people going around on ipads and kind of scrolling these 3d panoramic photos of the buildings um, and kind of rating, you know, how authentic do you feel here? How much do you feel like you fit and so forth? Um, But one of the things that we always ask people at the end of our studies is like, what do you think we were interested in measuring before we actually tell you? Um, And apparently my RAs were telling me that a lot of participants thought that we were trying to get more funding for the psychology (laughs) building because it looked so bad. And I was like, no, that's not quite what we're doing, but good to know. (laughs) Sad reality. Yeah, it's it's very real, guys. Uh, One one question kind of stemming off from this is, uh, so you've said that, okay, something like um, self-concept fit can materialize pretty quickly when you're entering a, a particular space or even when you're thinking about having to go to space mm-hmm. how quickly can that feeling evaporate hmm. so has any like have you heard of anybody doing that kind of work or, or is it something that you've thought of before or yeah so by evaporate you just mean like if i leave so so i'm more thinking like okay let's say um a female does go into computer science uh, and she's always been in situations uh that have felt comfortable you know less sort of computer science heavy they, they don't have the star trek posters on the wall or whatever it was that you said earlier <laughs> which mm-hmm. i found hilarious um <laughs> what would happen like how quickly do you think that feeling of self-concept would change if you suddenly said okay we're doing you're doing the same exact thing mm-hmm. but now we're just changing the atmosphere we're putting oh, we're putting those posters up on the wall or we're we're adding calculators to all the benches so that you feel like you're you know like yeah. how quickly do you think that we'd actually people would start to feel like okay, this isn't me anymore, mm-hmm. even if they have prior experience where they know that it that is them. Hmm. That's Yeah, that's a really good question. And, and to some degree, I think we'll be able to answer that soon. Um, so kind of, I mean, the Sorry way... to make you speculate. I didn't mean that. <laughs> oh, no, no, no. Totally, totally. I Yeah, so I mean, it's, it's really, I think, an important question. And nowhere, to my knowledge, has tested it. Um, but kind of one one bigger question that we're trying to answer, I think, is is kind of themes that have been brought up, which is 
kind of which type of fit comes first how quickly does each one kind of take hold of you um and kind of do they you know how do they layer on top of one another in some sense so um kind of part of the part of the thing that we're trying to get at with that study is is kind of thinking about when you first walk into the building and then we take you to a room with kind of all these objects um we're actually getting measurements like we ask them an insane number of times how how authentic they feel i think there were like 10 time points of measurement so it's it's very thorough but i, I think part of our goal there is to really get at a question like that where it's like you know here's my level of authenticity uh without kind of these objects and i feel generally okay but then as soon as you introduce those kind of cues um kind of what does that exactly do um and how fast does that affect the way i feel in that environment um i think there's I've, there's certainly like prior literature to suggest that it could happen really quickly um so you know just kind of priming people with different ideas about identity um in other research it's like can happen literally as soon as you kind of see the thing or, or hear the prime um but i think yeah whether or not it works the same way for this will be interesting i'm interested in uh this this is kind of a weird question but um i've had conversations with a couple of friends on how I don't have a lot of decorations or mm. things in my room or in my house. And I'm, I have kind of like these blank walls all over the place with the exclusion of one poster <laughs> and that, which I'm quite impressed with. So I don't seem to put a lot of uh, time or effort into surround or, or making things look or reflect how I feel. Mm -hmm. uh, so I'm kind of reinforcing my authenticity, I guess. Mm -hmm. And then I've spoken with other people that have, I mean, their rooms are filled with posters. They've mm -hmm. got like everything, like, everything's filled up. They've got lights, they've done everything. What is, what is the difference between myself and that person? And would, do, would you expect that they're, they would identify uh, with a different environment more as, mm -hmm. as like, making them feel authentic than I would? So say I were to go into this study and, and you'd have all these like Star Trek posters or whatever, yeah. uh, or all these things that are kind of, getting me to feel like I'm in a psychology like area mm -hmm. versus a blank room, would you expect that I would identify less than that person? Or do you think it would be the same thing? Yeah, I mean, so... And what really is that, I guess? <laughs> what, what am I, I don't really know what I'm asking, but I mean, what's the difference between myself and someone that likes to kind of show who they are through mm -hmm. uh, whatever it is, through decoration or through... Okay, for example, like, mm -hmm. your place, you've got like two pieces of art on the wall. Yes come over to my place and there's like a 15 foot long photo yes. collage from Please. vacations. <laughs> at also I've... note, Kyle has a fiance. Yeah. <laughs> I'm very something. much alone in my apartment. <laughs> yeah. But I, but I do feel like, yes, you're, I, it's I just completely uh, agree. To give a comparison. Yeah, I completely agree. Like, yeah. Your, your place is much more filled out. There's a lot more stuff going on and it's much more of like a, when I'm in my house, this is like a representation of who I am. Mm -hmm. And I imagine you feel more authentic in your place than I might feel in mine. But I also wouldn't feel authentic in your place because it's a bunch of pictures of you and your fiance. <laughs> not be, not me. Right? Oh, we don't put photos up of ourselves. That's, yeah. that's just indulgent. Of you, Drake. <laughs> yeah. That's just a, th a, sh a shrine to me, <laughs> as I expect it to be. Um, yeah. But like, what would be the difference between Kyle and I, where mm -hmm. we place certain emphasis on this? Is that just us, uh, our self, our self identification, our social identification, differing in that in that mm. sense, or that? Yeah. So I mean, I think I kind of have two answers and so one answer um is just you know some work that i find really cool that i think 
is really related to what you're saying. So um, there's some really, really cool personality psych research done by Sam Gosling and others um, looking at how you can actually predict people's personality profile from going into their room and just kind of taking in what it looks like. So, you know, if you have very organized shelves and very tidy things, I might say, you're really high on conscientiousness. Um, versus if I go to Kyle's house and it's like, there's just clothes all over the place. <laughs> Not saying that's how your house is. <laughs> no, <that's> <laughs> um, but you know, it, it's kind of, we can kind of to some degree pick up on uh, people's personalities from that. And I think the second part to your question has more to do with how do I feel in that space? Yeah. Um, and so I think that's really interesting and, and something that, you know, I've been really thinking about and wanting to kind of do some studies on is not just how do people feel in these environments that have been constructed by others, but more of how do they, how do people themselves construct environments that kind of make them feel authentic and, and what does that really mean? Um, so, you know, if I really, really value kind of my relationships and my my life experiences, I might choose to put up a lot of photos that kind of remind me of those things. Yeah. Um, versus if I value music, I might kind of have my records around. Mm -hmm. um, so I think kind of those reminders of our identity to some degree are really integral to how we choose to kind of construct our spaces. Yeah. Um, and I think that's that's really fascinating. I've been, that's really cool. So it's not yeah. something that's really, it's something that's being explored actively by yeah. you. And I think that's that's really cool. There's a lot of stuff. I find, first off, the first point you made on the personal, being able to predict personality based on someone's room, amazing. I think that's it's really so cool. cool. <laughs> yeah. Even if you have blank walls, you're like, okay, I know <laughs> what's yeah. going on here. <laughs> yeah, that's <says> something. <laughs> yeah, that's really cool. And then the work that you're working on right now, actively to see how people kind of shape their environments or how their environments impact mm -hmm. their feelings of uh, authenticity and their identity is really cool. Mm -hmm. So uh, what were the, like, the main findings within this study where you're comparing the psychology building and other than everybody hates the psychology. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So um, I think so. Yeah, I didn't really get into the, the findings of that much, but I think kind of one of the main questions that we were trying to answer there is to what degree are kind of the gender differences that we see on the choice to kind of enter these different fields. So whether, you know, I'm a woman and I choose to pursue psychology or engineering, um, to what degree is that kind of explained through this sense of authenticity there. Um, and so kind of what we did is we just showed people these different spaces and asked them, um, you know, how authentic do you expect to feel there? And importantly, how much do you actually want to spend time there? How much would you go there? Um, and so we did find that, you know, to no surprise, women were more likely to want to go into psychology than engineering um, and kind of vice versa. Men were more likely to want to go into engineering than psychology. Um, but what we found was that that was actually explained or kind of we call mediated through their sense of authenticity there. So women were saying, you know, I don't expect to feel authentic in the engineering building. And because of that, I don't want to go there. Um, whereas men were saying, you know, I expect to feel more authentic in the engineering building. So I want to go there and not the psychology building. Mm. Um, so I think kind of based on that, that's kind of where, where we are now is trying to kind of take this into quote unquote the real world and kind of understand, you know, how can we be actually changing the way that we're shaping these environments and kind of think about what we're communicating um, because obviously it's having kind of this this impact on, on the degree to which uh, men and women are kind of saying that they want to go into these different fields. Um, and so, I mean, there's there's a lot of great research that is looking into this question. Um, it's a very, very big literature, kind of this, this women in STEM um, question. But I think one promising direction is really to think about 
the environments and kind of how those are set up, mm -hmm. um, kind of the information that we're communicating to people, right? Like not having Star Trek posters everywhere. Yeah. Um, so yeah. I was piqued by this when you mentioned it, mm -hmm. but I'm curious, how do you go ahead? How, do, how does somebody actually process their sense of fit? Like, mm -hmm. What is going on? Yeah. What's inside the black box? <laughs> um, mm. Yeah. So, I mean, like a lot of the literature would suggest that, and I mean, I think even some of our own work would suggest this, that it's really just kind of a, a just a sense, right? Like you're not thinking about how, you know, person X said this remark to me and then person Y said that remark to me. And together that conveys these different levels of social acceptance, I think. What we're much more likely to do is just kind of pick up on what is the feeling that I'm getting from this place? Um, and is that kind of this good or bad feeling? So in some sense, we actually talk about um, state authenticity as kind of this personal, um, almost like a, a meter of fit. So kind of the signal that either I should be here or I shouldn't. So if I walk into a place and I'm like, this is really cool, I can really be myself. That is kind of a signal to me that this is an environment that I would fit in and should stay um, versus if I walk into a place that I'm like, oh, this is does not fit me at all. <laughs> I think people are much more likely to kind of use these broad cues to just kind of think about whether they would fit there and should mm -hmm. be there. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I, I don't fully know the answer, but no, no, I wouldn't. No, it's yeah. <laughs> I mean, if any of us knew we wouldn't be sitting here, we'd be Nobel Prize winners and we could just move on and yeah. someday be rich no. and famous and whatever impressive. else. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think that's re it's really fascinating to see how people differ. I mean, you can have a group of friends walk into the same spot and everybody, everybody have different perceptions of whether or not they feel they're comfortable there. Yeah, and, totally. And it I happens mean, all the time. It like, does. Like I've yeah. totally been to places with my friends or like we go to a bar and one person's like, this is the best bar. Like, this is so cool. Okay, and then somebody else is like, I want to leave. Like, this is weird. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so it's, it's really, <laughs> exactly, exactly. It's, it's super interesting. Um, yeah, just to kind of think about how the same exact environment can really feel different to different people. And how the same, like you can be friends with this person and like do, like have, <laughs> yeah. have different opinions on something, right? Like, yeah. so it's like, I have, I've had it so many times where I go to like certain bars, like people, some people hate sports bars. That's fine. Yeah. Some people love them. Uh, how you identify that? is based on all these other things all these other factors but you get that sense of feel right away well okay so you and i might enjoy going to a sports bar and we'll watch whatever's on it doesn't really matter mm -hmm. but when i go out with my fiance i intentionally avoid places with televisions because i know it will distract <laughs> me yes yeah depends so, on who you're with and what what yeah, the so, expectations totally. are too right so that would yeah. be not necessarily uh, maybe that's goal fit for you yeah. <laughs> being <laughs> with goal your fiance not getting in a fight. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. have a pleasant date night <laughs> <laughs> i think that's a good way to put it yeah. uh quickly let's talk about your other study because we had mentioned it and we teased it uh the idea that you were looking at uh international students and that just moved to canada and how they kind of fit in or how they feel like they fit in mm -hmm. so so what is the study what did you find <laughs> yeah so um i mean again this is just such a broad theoretical framework that you can mm -hmm. apply to so many different things so you know one of the one of the really interesting things about UBC is that we have such a big international student population that I think a lot of other places maybe have that to some degree, but we really have a broad diversity. So kind of just a question that we wanted to know is, you know, does kind of being an international student or somebody who's really not identified with the culture impact how much fit you feel on this university campus? 
Um, and does that kind of translate into kind of your your willingness to have what we call an approach motivation? So kind of are you pursuing academic opportunities and doing things and kind of uh, being successful in that environment more or less? Um, and so kind of what we what we tested, um, we expected to find that we didn't find um, was whether, you know, for international students who didn't feel um, identified with the culture, whether they would feel less authentic and kind of have less of an approach motivation um, kind of through these types of fit that we talked about. Um, what we actually found, which was really shocking to me and I think a little bit to my advisor as well, is that actually for all students feeling like you don't have this kind of cultural identification. Um, so it was the case for international students only, but it was also the case for even domestic students who said, you know, Canadian culture isn't that important to me. Yeah. Um, so it was really, it was interesting, kind of prompted us to think about this question in kind of a broader sense where, you know, for anybody just kind of feeling like you don't identify with that culture can really impact the way that you feel fit and authenticity. Um, and so, yeah, so following up kind of on that, I mean, I think another um, kind of important thing to look at and what we're doing right now is is really trying to understand, I think, as Kyle kind of alluded to earlier, how these processes play out over time. Um, so one of the things that we're doing right now that I'm really, really excited about, and I think is going to be really cool to see, um, is we're actually tracking a sample of like newly arrived international students. So they're part of this program um, at UBC called Vantage, um, which some people may know. But basically, it's a program especially geared for international students who are trying to kind of develop um, some of the language proficiency and other skills that they might not have um, yet. So what we're doing there um, in collaboration with some people at Vantage is we're kind of asking them at different points throughout their first year um, kind of how identified with the culture they feel, how much fit and authenticity do they feel. Um, and then we're also looking at kind of their their actual academic performance. Um, so that's something that we haven't done yet that I think is going to be really, really cool uh, because, you know, we would expect that greater sense of fit and authenticity should kind of help you um, succeed and kind of do what you need to do to get ahead mm -hmm. in your classes. Um, That's really cool. Yeah. What type of fit? So, I mean, imagine you're probably looking at all types of fit within yes. these people because you'd have their fit within the school, mm -hmm. in the, that uh, post-secondary education kind of environment. Then you have the new culture environment. Mm -hmm. So these are all things that I imagine you're probably going to be teasing apart within that study too, right? Yeah, totally. Yeah. Super cool. I'm sure there's going to be some really interesting findings Hopefully. from that. <laughs> um, so. Before we get into the implications, I think this actually just leads into the implications. So mm -hmm. I'm thinking about how would this impact people's day to day or the way that they see the world? I think it's like for me, I'm it's everywhere. But yeah. <laughs> I, I think I thought a lot about uh, whenever you're talking about the international students and just the domestic students as well as how the fit can really impact them. Mm -hmm. I think a lot about uh, high school or just in, in work or when people are thinking about not fitting in. Mm -hmm. And so this this global feeling of not fitting in. Mm -hmm. And so I think this is probably a big part or maybe a reason why you got into this work is just like because people don't feel like they're fitting in what's going what's really going on why aren't they feeling like they're fitting in mm -hmm. and and so what uh, my assumption is is that knowing uh the the rates of mental illness and and how mental health is, tends to deteriorate whenever you go outside of high school and you go into i mean grad school or you go into just work life anything anything mm -hmm. that's new to you and you're not feeling like you're fitting in uh do you think that this sense of fit is a really big part of that kind of mental health decline mm -hmm. in a sense? Or do you think that it's just kind of like another factor that's adding to it? Yeah. So, I mean, I, I definitely think there's great work on kind of 
thinking about social fit specifically, that kind of having social support plays a big role in our health. Mm. Um, so I could imagine that, yeah, not feeling a sense of fit or maybe feeling like you don't have kind of a network of support um, could really impact kind of your your health. Mm. Um, yeah, I mean, I think it's just, it's really, it's interesting to think about kind of the implications of this and, and kind of how it relates to some of this other work. Um, because I, I don't think, I mean, I think the one of the most interesting things about this is kind of thinking about how authenticity plays into all of it. Yeah. Um, so, so yeah, I think it could have really, you know, big implications for people's health, people's academic performance. Mm -hmm. um, overall, just I think people's choices to approach different environments, um, which could be huge, right? Like Absolutely. my choice to be in the engineering building more than not could kind of over time impact whether I want to be an engineer, yeah. um, which mm -hmm. is like a pretty big thing. I think it's interesting. And so for me, I'm kind of playing with a couple of concepts that we've talked about with other mm -hmm. other guests. Like mm -hmm. uh, we had talked to, Ra about Ryan, to Ryan Dwyer about happiness and mm -hmm. things like that. And for me, I'm thinking, uh, we talked about like this long-term goal or these things, this goal-oriented kind of approach uh, versus kind of like a hedonic approach. Mm -hmm. And so for me, it's this is kind of bringing up the same ideas in my head where I'm thinking uh, you go into a building or you go into a situation where you're uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. And for me, this is learning for everybody, right? So anytime yeah. you're learning something, you're not comfortable. So your self-identification or your self-concept might not be great in that situation, mm -hmm. but you have to have that goal fit where you're like, this sucks because I don't feel smart. Mm -hmm. uh, but if I finally learn this, I'm gonna be that much closer to my goal. Yeah. And so playing with these kind of sense of fit is really cool. And I, I'm excited to see the work that you guys put out on this because it's something that I never really knew existed. Uh, it just kind of felt, it just had that kind of yeah. overall feeling like I suck right now. <laughs> this, this sucks. <laughs> Why? <laughs> yeah. Well, something that, something that I know we've talked about in the past in our previous episode is um, the imposter syndrome. Mm -hmm. And I can, I like, so clearly see that link here and i think that's yeah. a, that's a really fascinating sort of mm -hmm. leap to start making in some ways yeah mm -hmm. um, for yeah. everybody right so yeah the, that feeling of not feeling like you fit in is your work and i'm so yeah. glad that we have you on now <laughs> after having yeah. that episode where we're like what is going on yeah yeah uh, we should yeah. redo that we should not redo it but we should well record we'll, another version of it yeah well, well another I mean, edition as we grow and as everybody grows and learns yeah. more i mean this is a this is a really interesting topic um are, are there any other implications that you'd like to kind of highlight because i mean those are mm -hmm. some huge implications when it comes to like just kind of like fitting in in the world like there's so much to talk yeah. about when it comes to impacting yeah. your day-to-day -day. it's a really big topic yeah i mean i think the other kind of implication that i've been thinking about recently is kind of as i mentioned earlier i'm actually thinking about kind of what this can tell us about how we build spaces um so i think you know one of the kind of areas of work that i've been really interested in reading about uh lately is actually architecture um, so there's a lot of people doing interesting work on kind of what they call placemaking. Um, so it's this term that they use to kind of describe um, how people can kind of take these abstract spaces, as we were kind of talking about with the room example, and really kind of inject their identities into them so that they, they become kind of these symbols of who people are. Mm. Um, and so I think kind of understanding those processes and really thinking about how that can directly impact things like urban planning and kind of design um, in terms of, you know, are we creating spaces that feel true to everyone or are we just creating spaces that fit some people, but not everybody? Um, I think that's a really cool thing to think about. I find that fascinating. And again, this goes back to my own personal interests, but research interests, but we've been in my lab, we've been talking a lot recently about uh, barriers to things like physical activity mm -hmm. and especially in older populations where there might be things that could 
prevent them even simple things like curbs yeah <laughs> you know and and suddenly you know now we like we i don't think we've ever really had a conversation where we've thought necessarily about fit or use that exact term but mm-hmm. that's really what we were referencing is this idea of like yeah we maybe when you get older and you can't take the stairs your sense of self fit doesn't make as much sense anymore it's harder for you to be a part of these particular environments yeah totally yeah amazing uh and last word before we go into the break i think uh, this also reminds me of my mother. Shout out to my mom, um, <laughs> because anytime that I'm feeling like I'm I'm having I'm struggling or anything, she, her she always had a recommendation to change the way my room was set up. Huh. So she'd always say, "Move the couch over to the other side, or move the TV there, or move something else. Try and make it make it feel more right for you." And I think she was tapping into a little bit of what you're getting at here is just yeah. like make it feel more authentic for you Mm -hmm. and that sometimes moving around your computer or moving something around in your room might just do that for you moving your bed in a different spot just might make you feel a little bit more like like it's a better fit sometimes which i find is super interesting and 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 i mean as a as a more urban planning and more like societal approach it's it's super cool to take that approach and then also take it as an individual approach and say how can you modify your environment to make you feel better or more adept in where what your situation is yeah so i think it's really cool change your office around change your house around do yeah. whatever the heck you need to do make a space that fits you yeah exactly basically. yeah and if i knew more about feng shui i'd talk more to that but i don't <laughs> i was actually thinking of feng shui when you were when you were talking i, was like, I feel like that really i don't think i was moving it to like the northern part of my room for any specific reason i think it's just because yeah. it's aesthetically pleasing yeah but i mean there's there's definitely something there there's a reason why people talk about these things because yeah. maybe that we haven't actually measured it yet mm-hmm. But there's something going on here that just unconsciously people are, might be picking up on that we haven't really measured yet. Yeah. So it's super cool that you're doing it. Oh. All right. Awesome. With that, we'll take a break. Uh, take this opportunity to refill a glass, uh, rehydrate, whatever it might be. And we'll be back in just a second uh, with some rapid fire questions for Audrey. Cool. Cheers. All right, welcome back. This is your brain break. Audrey, are you ready? I think so. (laughs) (laughs) We do our best to never tell our guests what this is really going to be about. Um, And most of the time, Drake doesn't have any questions even prepared. So there's no way for us to give you too many hints. (laughs) We're just going to see where this goes. All right, Drake, would you like to start? Or because I have an idea already, would you prefer that I start? Favorite amphibian? Frog, because it's the first one that came to mind. <laughs> that's the only one I had in my head too. So. Yeah, I was like amphibians, yeah, toads. Like, Those are frogs, right? I don't know matter. Favorite reptile? Snake. Snake? Just straight up any type specific yeah. snake or? Uh, no, no type specifically. Oh my god! I watched Planet Earth two recently. Oh. I don't, and I, we talked about this. Yes, yes. The scene with the snake. Highly oh, recommended. I think it's the first episode on Planet Earth two. Is intense the, is that yeah. the one where it's trying to eat the little there's a, little, there's a little lizard coming. like yeah, yeah, running yeah. on two feet and there's like yeah. a bunch of snakes coming out of yeah. rocks that oh intense scene yeah. anyway so check intense. that out definitely yeah. worth watching that was the most, yeah. the most tense scene i've ever seen in my entire <laughs> I know. life insane. i think That's, actually i might change my answer to that that little reptile lizard. <laughs> that specific lizard is my favorite reptile yeah <laughs> yes that whatever whoever he is if he's still alive he's the number one right there yeah definitely he has to be alive he's he's an all-star yeah greatest of all time Goat <laughs> amphibian. All right. Go. <laughs> Audrey, uh, you're born in a plane. Where are you going? Oh, my gosh. Um, 
oh, I'm thinking too long about this for a rapid <laughs> fire question. Yeah, you got to pick right away. We should have a little timer. A little buzz. Yeah, <laughs> brain buzz. Yeah. Oh, oh yes. <laughs> I knew there was a reason we had to. There we on. go. Too late. You don't get an answer. Okay. Yeah. I'm going I'm just nowhere. Kidding. I'm just going to go home. <laughs> I'm going to get off the plane and go yeah. home because yeah. I can't decide. Um, the pilot's like, hurry up and choose, Audrey. <laughs> I would say Paris. Paris. Paris yeah, yeah, yeah I've never been there. It seems like a cool place. I'll report back when I get back. Oh, you're going. Conference, baby. Oh, man. That's uh, the best. I know. Yeah. I'm very excited. <laughs> All right. Um, just a little background for some of our audience members. Uh, you are in a band. I am in a band. Yes. Um, what instrument do you play? I play a guitar and I sing. Guitar and sing. Yes. Excellent. Um, favorite instrument other than guitar? Ooh, probably the drums. The drums. Yeah. Favorite drummer? Ooh, I don't think I have a favorite drummer to be. Honest. Mm. Oh no, no. Well. No, I, I don't have a favorite. I don't have There's a favorite. Controversy. There's too many good okay, ones. Okay, okay. Top, top three? Um, that's really tough. I So so one cool drummer that I'll just quickly plug, because I, I think he's really cool, and I recently got into him. He's His name is uh, Fela Kuti. He's a African drummer who does these, like, really, really awesome, like, kind of funk rhythms um, and just has, like, a lot of really, really cool kind of uh, work. So I guess... I will side with that. <laughs> Sounds good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I knew if we just kept kind of asking it yeah. in different ways, eventually you so just hung in on one. Yeah. Fair enough. Um, favorite? Uh, who do you uh, who do you most closely resemble in terms of your your musicianship? Oh, wow. Or who do you idolize? Yeah, that's that's another really good question. I guess one of my uh, favorite artists that I look up to is um, John Dwyer. He's kind of a an LA based uh, musician, but he just does a lot of really like if you ever look him up, he has like a bunch of bands that he's in. Um, so he does like everything from kind of psychedelic to more of like hard rock, kind of just like fast, insane stuff. Um, so I think just having kind of that flexibility, that range is super impressive. And something I want to, cool. yeah. What's your band name? We are called Toast. 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 T-O-A-S-T. T -O -A -S -T? Like, like the breakfast toast. Oh, yeah. <laughs> or maybe like you raise a toast. Raise we a don't toast. know. <laughs> um, the joke is that we whenever we get together and practice we say we're jamming with toast it's, it's just mainly a bad joke but it's also our band name. I like it. Uh, is there such a thing as a bad joke if it gets a laugh i don't know that's that's a great question so philosophical better question yes. oh i don't know mine was pretty good do you put when you're making peanut butter and jelly sandwich yeah do you put peanut butter on both slices or one and then how do you do it no why what's your technique you put peanut butter on one slice and jelly on the other slice. Oh, my God, no. Always. Wait. <laughs> whoa, whoa, whoa. Whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> Sorry, wait. There's no wrong answers except for that one. That's the only <laughs> wrong answer. How do, you, how do you make it? Uh, peanut butter on both, jam on both. What? Oh, but then you're, it gets so... <laughs> oh. Baby. Why not just... I, at that point, I just eat you it can't preserve. Case. You can't preserve mm. that sandwich because the jam or the jelly will get, make it soggy on the one slice. Oh. So you got to put peanut butter on both. That's your point. That's that, your that point. That is a good point. Something to think about. All right. Uh, <laughs> la <laughs> last question. Uh, favorite jam or jelly flavor? Real Strawberry. <laughs> I think <laughs> strawberry is just—it's—it's it's a classic. It's okay. solid. Okay. Yeah, I mean, strongly really disagree as well. <laughs> Moving Wait. forward, raspberry. Raspberry is mine. Uh, yeah, I'd go. I, it's my preference. Whoa. I do respect strawberry. Fair. If you would have said like, uh, what's that? Uh, 
What's the orange? What's the orange one? Marmalade. Marmalade. Oh. No, I hate marmalade. Marmalade alone is fine, but you never put that with peanut butter. No. Poor decision. Do, what do you do? You match marmalade with anything? It's always just marmalade I just and hate butter, it right? All the time. Like it doesn't matter what it's with. Actually, good time. Good time for any jam that you've got that you're not really sure how to use. Yeah. Crackers. A little like brie. Throw that jam on there. Oh. Marmalade. Delicious. Marmalade. I'm sure would be good. No, yeah, like, I would never try it. <laughs> <laughs> all right audrey thanks for playing along yeah absolutely uh all right we'll be back in a minute with some myths and misconceptions uh hi i'm audrey today welcome back to brain buzz with kyle and drake thank you <laughs> perfect <laughs> This is your episode two. Yeah, this is episode. my this is my episode two. We're talking about uh, fit and authenticity. Awesome, yeah. perfect. Yeah, yeah it's, it's no longer our episodes. Yeah. We don't, you know, it's all of our episodes. People yeah. don't come here for us. They come here for you and yes. our guests. <laughs> yeah, um, let's jump right into it. Yeah, let's do it. Yeah. Right, so you've got some myths and misconceptions that you want to talk about, Audrey. I think there's so, yeah. at least one. Yeah, at least one. I think I, I put one. I think oh, one. we got time for. Yeah, we yeah. <laughs> myth or misconception yeah. and or both. Yeah, and or both together. Usually they're yeah, like peanut butter and jam better uh, together. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, on both slices. That, that is a common misconception. I, I, common misconception. I've changed my ways. Um, yeah, so I mean, I think, um, you know, this is something that I, I talked about a little bit earlier, but I think there's this misconception that we are able to just be ourselves mm. um, or just kind of be authentic when you're in a situation. Um, and I think that's a huge misconception because, you know, our work would suggest that that's actually not very up to you most of the time <laughs> so um you know you can change the situation that you're in and kind of by that feel more authentic but if you're in a situation that just doesn't fit there's kind of no way to change that yeah because i've been told like oh yeah be yourself in this situation that you're never in yeah or just <laughs> and i'm super natural. uncomfortable in. yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, i can't okay <laughs> yeah exactly i literally cannot do it <laughs> error <Yeah>. not processing <laughs> well yeah. And I can see that that could really be problematic for people if they if they do believe it's just a case of, I just have to do it. Yeah. It's like, well, that actually could backfire on you. Because, mm-hmm. you know, if you have a really bad experience, suddenly, you know, oh, I was just being my eccentric weird self. And suddenly everybody's <laughs> yeah. like, what is this fucking weirdo doing here? Yeah. Like, suddenly you can get rejected pretty quickly. And, and yeah. I, I mean, good luck being yourself in the that yeah. similar situation and again then, like yeah, well, just I mean, totally. we learn from our mistakes or like it's like ryan ryan tom said in the last episode he's like teaching mice how to like adapt and persevere it's like are we going to persevere or are we going to continue to do the same thing if we uh i mean fell on our faces the first time and yeah. everything sucked and we hated it yeah. <laughs> it's like why would you want to go back totally. it's kind of rein- it's uh reinforcing that you shouldn't you know this yeah. like negative reinforcement like pull away i don't want to be a part of this so i'm going to remove myself from those negative experiences yeah. in the future. And I think there's also just this weird, and I think we've all kind of been in the situation where like, it's almost like the more you try to act natural, the less natural you act. <laughs> so like, you know, if somebody's like, act natural, suddenly I find myself being like, like yeah. I don't know what to do. Yeah, what do I do with my hands? Yeah, what do I usually do? Um, <laughs> just so, you grabbing your head like, oh, no. Yeah, so I think it's just, it's really weird advice that I don't think is is founded in anything good. Yeah, interesting. Where, and did, so, where did it come from? I... You know, I hear it everywhere. I don't really know like where it started, but it's something I think there's like a lot of self-help books on it. There are kind of these conceptions in like the media and kind of in uh, general kind of uh, people's advice to you. Um, I mean, I've certainly gotten the advice to like just act like yourself and, 
you know, it's, yeah. it usually doesn't help at all. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and, and I, you know, in a situation, especially where you've never had any experience, yeah. try and be like, okay. When we know, uh, we talked about how our self is defined by the environment, we're the in. environment that we're in and yeah. some of the cues that we're taking up from other people. And you're like, yeah. well, I've never been in this situation, so I have no clue what my self looks like in this yeah. situation. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So yeah. that advice does not help me. Okay, if we can't just be ourselves, mm-hmm. what should we do? Mm-hmm. Be somebody else? Be, yeah, like... Yeah. Well, <laughs> don't be yourself is option A. Um, option B, if you if you do want to be yourself, um, I think it's to really kind of like we've been talking about, find these situations that fit you. Um, so, you know, move into these environments where, where you can be yourself or change your current environment and make that a place where you can be yourself, mm-hmm. um, which isn't always easy to do. A lot of people just kind of move somewhere else rather than trying to change the current situation. Um, but those are all kind of, ways that you could get around it that makes sense to be a little bit malleable yeah Yeah. and and change your kind of i mean the uh, the way i've always been seeing these three kind of fits is just like if it's important to you and you think it's important push yourself to to do it because you know it's important but if it's not something that you by any means want to continue doing why put yourself through it like exactly (laughs) if it's just gonna suck all the way through and then after it's gonna suck why do it yeah uh and that makes sense Mm-hmm. Or make it as, if you have to do it, make it as comfortable as you can and make it mm-hmm. as close to you as you want, as you can be. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Uh, cool fact. Do you, yeah. you got some interesting facts for us related to your work or just yes. in general? Yeah. So, I mean, one of the one of the cool facts, and it's kind of like a random fact from social psychology that has always just blown my mind um, that I think is it's just like really neat, is um, kind of this idea related to social identity um, that basically... It's the idea that it's super easy to form a social identity. So kind of the the things that I choose to identify as um, can be literally as arbitrary as what color t-shirt am I wearing? Um, so in this, this <laughs> kind of paradigm, it's called the minimal group paradigm and it was done in the 70s. They literally just put people in these two different color t-shirts and said, okay, now you're part of, you know, red t-shirt group and you guys are part of blue t-shirt group. And not only did people latch onto these identities, but they were also more likely to say that, you know, red shirt group is better than blue shirt group. And it's like, just five minutes ago, you had no idea which group you're going to be part of. But um, I think it really says something to how powerful social identities are um, and kind of how much we're willing to kind of be part of these groups. yeah, it's just it's so crazy. I think I see that so much in sport. Like, I was just thinking yeah. exactly. It's so oh, funny. Yeah. It's like, oh, you're wearing a blue shirt. Yeah, you go to hell. Yeah, totally. <laughs> I'm red shirt. Yeah, totally. Like, go to hell, and you? I will put you there. <laughs> yeah, totally. One of the one of really, um, I think the first social identity theorist, um, kind of a fun like legend about him is that his office used to be below the university stadium, and so he was studying social identity and thinking about this question and every you know whatever day they have the games on he would hear this kind of like thunderous stomping and he was like wow these people are like really out of control and it like occurred to him he was like this is social identity like sports teams like how riled up people get is just like all about like what we're trying to study here so now there's a lot of work looking at sports and things but it's just it's really fascinating coming from a canadian like coming from ottawa and knowing the rivalries between hockey teams it (laughs) blows my mind oh yeah i mean there's three teams that people cheer for. One's blue. I'm not using any names. One's blue. <laughs> one's red. And one's blue and red. <laughs> and there's a lot of hate between those. It's yeah. like, yeah. I just, it's, it's amazing to see the identi- like how people identify 
and how much they're willing to prove they identify yeah. with these different teams. Well, and you see somebody at the bar wearing the other one. Yeah. And you're like, that person's just the biggest idiot. Yeah, and you're yeah. you're actually less likely your, to yeah. speak to that person. Like, yeah. you see someone with the same jersey on, the same team on, you are much more likely to speak to that person than the person that's with the opposite jersey, right? Yeah. And it's it's just funny how we identify on these very arbitrary... Yeah. I, I'll call them arbitrary. People tell me to go to hell. Some people might but, disagree. <laughs> yeah. But, like, I mean, it's, it's our identification. What do we choose to identify mm-hmm. as, right? Some yeah. people really identify with teams. Some people don't. Yeah. They're also... Oh, I, maybe we won't get into this too in depth, but there can be some serious social consequences for this. Um, mm-hmm. For example, the LA Dodgers yeah. and the San Francisco Giants have a heated rivalry, and it's not a, at least a couple of years ago now somebody was attacked and jumped in a parking lot yeah. and like put in a coma. Yeah. yeah. Um, and you know you hear about fan bases that across sports, it doesn't matter what sport you're talking about, soccer, mm-hmm. uh, it could be football, it could be hockey, like insane riots riots Riots. after games after winning or losing it's like yeah i mean it's just it can be like a wonderful thing that brings people together at the same time it can be such a pernicious like people will do terrible things to each other on the basis of like these kind of very small minimal minimal (laughs) yeah it's just like what Yeah, it's yeah. very. It's a cool fact. I think it's it's something that honestly we can leave our viewers, our listeners, to kind of think about when they go and cheer on their teams and like, what's going on in this arena, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. Are you actually talking to people that are on the other team or yeah. wearing different jerseys? Like, why and why aren't you? Yeah. What's the real differentiation there? Yeah. It's, it's something. It's cool to. It's a cool fact to kind of leave us off on. I think. Yeah. yeah. Definitely. Um, go say hi to that fan in the other jersey. Yeah. Yes. Ask them how their day's been. Yeah. Go talk to that red shirt, <laughs> blue shirt, red, blue shirt. <laughs> Absolutely. That's wicked. Uh, it's been really fun, Audrey. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it's been a great episode. Is there anything, anybody that you'd like to shout out, anything you'd like to shout out? It's all yours. Yeah. Um, shout out to, I guess, my lab mates and my advisor who are awesome and have been very integral in all of this work. Um, shout out to my research assistants who collected all the data (laughs) did a great job standing in the rain with ipads for like months um yeah and just thanks guys for having me on this has been really really fun no we we really appreciate it absolutely Uh, is there any uh place that you'd like people to contact you if they have more interest like more questions for you or want to talk to you yeah um i'd say probably either email or twitter would be the easiest great so Um, we'll link to both uh we'll have all your information up on the website head over to brainbowspodcast.com hit on uh hit the bios button Go down to guests, and under A for a day, you will find Audrey. Yeah, for, I think you'll be first on our list now. Actually. Yeah, you cool. definitely will. You're double A. Yeah. This yeah. always worked out for me. Now too. <laughs> always first to present. Always yeah. first yeah, to talk. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, Audrey, again, thank you so much. We've had a really good time. Uh, if you've enjoyed this episode, uh, head on over to brainbuzzpodcast.com. Uh, send us an email you can do so through the contact button you can also go to wherever you found this podcast whether it was itunes google play uh, stitcher wherever else wherever else you might have found it uh, leave us a review leave us a star hopefully maybe a few stars uh, let uh, let others know that uh, you've enjoyed listening um, you can find this episode and all other episodes at uh, brainbuzzpodcast.com or the aforementioned uh, podcast aggregate sites so check those too uh, check those out as well um that's yeah. it yeah <laughs> i felt like there was more oh maybe uh if you enjoyed what we talked about too you can definitely head over we'll have a nice little bio about the episode as well as links to some of the papers that we've talked about or that are otherwise relevant to the discussions that we've had today we'll make sure that those are all there uh so yeah excellent again audrey thank you again yeah thank great you. time and uh until next time cheers, cheers.